The Book of Fathers Prologue So, uh, my dad is uh, an English lit professor. That's the environment I was raised around. Greek myths, you know, were my bedtime stories. And he was, I think, always interested in the kind of generational gap. Now, I, you know, growing up in the 80s and having my various influences, was really into hip-hop. And um, I, and there was a, there was a gap you know, like in my parents' understanding, their ability to understand why I appreciated this this form of art. So for years, I would try to play the best hip-hop songs that that I was into at the time for, for my dad. Um, and trying to get him to appreciate it and probably also secretly trying to maybe validate for myself that that they were one and the same, that the the same kind of literary qualities that he celebrated could be found in hip-hop, in this new convention of, of literature. Flash forward about 10 years ago, or, or maybe slightly more, my dad developed a neurodegenerative disease. In his case, it was a cerebellar neurodegenerative disease, which essentially meant that his cerebellum was not sending signals very well to various parts of his body, his appendages, his legs primarily. In his case, it was his legs, his tongue, and his eyes. Um, So now he's 79 years old, can't read, can't write for any long period of time now. He can't even barely do crosswords, and there's this real feeling of futility. And he was really getting in touch with that and his impending mortality and his just general feelings about being a prisoner in his own body. He wanted to write something about it and called me up one day and said, Hey, I wrote a rap. And you want to hear it? Of course, let's hear it. So he drops this rap. Here we go. I'd like to kill myself, but I don't intend to. If I can't live normally, at least I can pretend to. My agony whispers, take up the bottle, become a bum. Take up the needle, succumb, succumb. Or become a rapper when there's too much to bear. Say it fast and loud and no one will hear. Say it fast and loud and no one will care. Forgive my rhymes, heavy on the beat, I'm not yet into it. If there's a school for rap, I ain't yet been to it. I march to the drummer in my ear, the bummer that I hear, and I'm looking for a rhyme that's better than fear. I'm fearful of a rap that's no better than a trap. I ain't looking to abuse, I'm happy to choose something I can use, like Sunny Place of Blues. Sorry, I didn't do that as well as I could have, but there it is. Bye, son. It was a really, it, it, it was really good. Uh, it was, it seemed very honest. It, it hurt my feelings because it was so raw and, you know, really gave me an insight into how shitty my dad was feeling about these things. And um, 
on top of that, though, was, was, I think it was it was good. It was good just unto itself as a rap. And what moved me also about it was that it showed me. It was very validating because he included all these elements and certain references that that showed me that he had kind of been paying attention all those years. And here it is coming out the other end, like um, as a fully formulated rap. So I was like, you've gotta you've gotta record that. You've got to call me back up, leave it on my voicemail. I won't answer, just leave it on my voicemail. And so we did. You're listening to Against Type, a haphazard mosaic about the pain and beauty of living. This episode is a bestiary. It's an anthology of puzzling creatures, dads, daughters, and sons of all stripes. Our first chapter is, appropriately, a tale of first contact. Chapter 1 Allison I'm adopted. I was adopted at, like, two days old. Um, I met my birth mom, and when I started talking to her and got to meet her, she said that she had not spoken to my birth dad since she was pregnant with me, so she didn't know where he was or what he'd be doing, um, if he would be uh, receptive to meet me or talk to me or even acknowledge my existence. Um, But she had a name. I wanted to get a hold of him just to meet him and see what he was like, see if he cared to know what I was like or anything, because he knew I was born. This is kind of before, like, the internet was the obvious thing. Um, I just called. I just called on like a Tuesday night (laughs) at like 7 p.m. And uh, when I called him, I was uh, well received and somewhat expected. And uh, I was in getting to know him, hoping that at at least that maybe he'd just be a normal dude, just an average guy. um, And that would have been just fine with me. But it turns out um, he's kind of an exceptional person, very smart, um, has a couple of PhDs in math and philosophy, and he's a professor now. He actually was an engineer for a while, but um, he focuses a lot on kind of anti-technology ideals. Uh, he He's written a few books, but probably the most interesting is the one that he co-wrote with Ted Kaczynski, um, also known as the Unabomber, about uh, technology and why it's bad and sort of why it's the going to be the downfall of mankind which ties back into how it would not have been appropriate for me to try to email him back when I first met him because <laughs> he wouldn't have checked that so he does have an email address now but it's because he has to because he's a professor <laughs> the FBI is probably watching us all now chapter 2 Tony Uh, so I did, I just packed my bag to move to New York really with no career direction in mind, just basically like I need to not be near my dad. The irony is I, I ended up, uh, eventually living in the neighborhood where he was born. I mean, my, my dad's, he's, uh, he's very racist. Um, he just very deeply fundamentally um and the thing that sadly makes sense to me is that um there's a strain of that within a lot of the italian community out here so my my dad was born in brooklyn um in in south brooklyn uh sheep's head bay area 
And I, I have all these um, uh, Italian relatives and these stories about this neighborhood that I didn't know anything about um, really growing up. We never visited New York uh, when I was a kid or the East Coast in general. So this whole concept of being Italian, my dad's Italian, his, his parents are both first-generation Italians, um, it just really meant nothing to me because, you know, in Michigan, being Italian doesn't really mean anything. And uh, so we were living in Queens, and we decided, all right, let's move to Brooklyn. What's an affordable neighborhood? And it turns out that the neighborhood that my dad was born in is a safe, affordable neighborhood. Which is weird, and it's not a. Na- I guess I should I should point out it's not like a neighborhood that people live in who are not from New York. So Sheepshead Bay is kind of more like it's a mixture of Orthodox Jewish, Italian, Chinese, and it's everyone who lives there was kind of born there, and then and then there was Jody and I. But there's all these like landmarks, like like my grandfather worked at a shoe store you know, uh, at King's Highway, right by where we live. And I would walk by that all the time, uh, living there. And it, it was just weird. There was this really odd way, I suppose, which I was connecting with my dad and his family. Um, even though the whole reason I really moved to New York was to get away from him. And the, and, and the career that I've ended up fulfilling is the career that he had actually always wanted to have himself, which is that of being in film. You'll notice this story sounds like it takes place out in the world in front of an audience, because it does. It was recorded live at the Against Type Story Hour that we held recently. Chapter 3. Lizzie. This story involves stabbing and my dad. So, listen up. (laughs) To better tell the story, picture me but smaller. I'm like nine years old. So my parents have been divorced for about two years. And I'm in my dad's apartment, and it's a really sad divorced dad apartment. And, you know, he has a ton of weird furniture that he kind of got um, from the marriage. And just like whatever, like, my mom couldn't hold on to, he just, like, took. So I'm sitting on the floor. It's uh, He gets me every Tuesday and Thursdays. It's Tuesday night, maybe Thursday. I don't know. It's not important. So I'm sitting on the floor, it's about an hour until I have to go home, and then Land Before Time comes on on the TV. And it's my favorite movie of all time. So I bear it down and I start watching, and I'm nine years old, so I have no real concept of time, and eight o'clock rolls around, and that's when my dad is supposed to take me home. So I call my mom, hey mom, to give you a better idea of the story, my mom is an little woman, uh, shorter than me, super Asian, super stoic. So I call my mom, hey mom, uh, I'm gonna stay here at dad's and watch the end of Land Before Time, please can I stay? There's a long pause. And then she just hangs up. And I'm like, cool, I get to stay at one time before time, she didn't say no. So I plop back down on the ground, legs crossed, I'm so excited, my, my dad is like, do you need anything more to eat? And you know, you know, I'm still full from the TV dinner, dad, thanks. And so I'm watching it, and then I hear, and then my dad goes to answer the door, and I don't care, because this is the scene where like the sharp teeth are like running around and chasing our like brave reptilian heroes, and I'm just so into it. And so my brother, or my dad opens the door, and there's my brother. 
and I just hear, Mom wants Lizzie home right now. And my dad's like, well, she's finishing a movie. Mom doesn't care. Mom wants Lizzie home right now. She's finishing a movie. And so I also am only nine years old, so I have no real concept of like drama, except what's like a cartoon. And you know, if there's no like Disney music with it, I don't get it. So I'm like watching it, and I hear a bit of a struggle, and I don't care. So sharp teeth running around. Uh, I, feel, I feel a pair of hands around my shoulders, and I get turned around, and there's my dad's face, huge gash on his eye, above his eye, blood just dripping down his face. And he turns to me, and he looks me in the eyes, and he says, you can stay as long as you want. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I think there's like 30 minutes left of the movie. That's what I want. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the movie, and then I hear, it's like rounding up. There's like two minutes left, but I'm a little freaked out because my dad had his blood on his face, and I was like, maybe I should just go home. So towards the end of the movie, dad opens the door and it's my brother and uh, he's just like mom wants to see home now and I'm just like you know what guys it's cool I've seen this movie before like all this is happening because of a rerun that I want to watch so like guys I got this it's cool I'll just go home it's like almost 8 30 it's like my bedtime so as I'm walking out of the apartment my brother is like he looks at me you know my dad closed the door and in this folded up wad of newspaper, he pulls out a long butcher's knife. And he was like, I was going to get you home no matter what. <laughs> and I just look at him, and I'm like, cool. i got to tell you about this movie I just watched. It's awesome. That's my story. Chapter 4. Adam. Oh, there was one time he disowned me. I was pretty broken up. I was I was pretty broken up. I mean, in, re in retrospect, I'm wondering. I, honestly, I don't understand what was going through his head. So my dad remarried, and he, he married a um, a woman that uh, turned out to be absolutely horrible, and, and he uh, did divorce her eventually. But at some point in the middle, to appease her, because she was uh, uh, controlling and uh, tried to, I don't know, thought that him having a relationship with his old family was somehow edging her out of his life or something. And she's like, you don't need them anymore. You've got me. And, and he, he's the kind of person that's always just appeasing people. Like, uh, you know, like the, they, the, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty demanding. They're pretty hard to deal with, but you just tell them what they want to hear and, and, and move on. Well, at one point, what, what she wanted to hear was that he would never speak to his kids again. So he called me and told me this, that he, was, that he wasn't going to uh, talk to me or, or my sisters again. And it was, it was actually really upsetting. And then I found out later that he, that he, he just assumed that I would know that he wasn't telling the truth. <laughs> That he wasn't telling the truth. It was like, I, you know, I was just trying to tell to make make uh, Varsha happy. She wanted to she wanted to hear it. And I was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll, I'll call up call up him and, and tell him that he, I'm disowning him. If that's what you want to hear, he's like, Dad, is that you or, or or are you being made to say this? 
Ya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after some time, he called me, and uh, I was surprised to hear him. And then he he acted like nothing had happened. And so I got upset and was like, "Well, you did uh, disown me. You did tell me you weren't going to speak to me again." You're like, "Oh, oh, that right? No, I didn't mean that." <laughs> It was weird. And I think I've said it a few times. Pretty upsetting. <laughs> Chapter 5 My Dad Should I begin? Not really proud of it, looking back. American goldfinches, the pretty black and yellow birds that everybody loves. Uh, I was a kid sitting on a, uh, tr- a creek bank with my re- requisite BB gun. And uh, they were landing in this little shallow pool, and they were 12 feet away, maybe. And I found out I could shoot them very easy. And when I was done, uh, there was 30-odd there, low 30s. And uh, I didn't feel good about it. I got my BB gun and walked away. Yep. I wouldn't do that today, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't care to kill animals uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I find it unpleasant, even though it's obviously sometimes for the good. And I will do it in a pinch. I have done it a couple times in my life, but I sure don't like it. Chapter 6 Chip yeah, so this um, this guy, you know, like he was just like, I didn't really know him actually. I just knew of him. And uh, people used to think that I was him and he was I. He worked at the coffee shop in Saginaw. And uh, he, uh, I'm trying to think, of, like everybody just kind of knew him, you know. We had similar personalities from what I understand. And we'd get mistaken for each other all the time. And people would ask me, hey, uh, I saw you working at the Red Eye. I'm like, no, I don't even go there. I don't like the place. Just... So I never really thought much of it or even of him, you know. And one day, this kid got shot, and it was like, oh, it's that guy from the Red I was like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, and I heard this story, and I was like, oh, that's really horrible. And fast forward a few months, and I get this friend request on Facebook from his mother, and I'm like, well, this is really weird. Like, I feel, I'm sorry, but I don't know your son. So I didn't accept it. I just thought it was weird, and I just left it in the pending box because I just felt bad. And I just was like, oh, let's leave it pending, and maybe I'll accept it. Or maybe she just thought I looked like her son. I was like, oh, it's like a, you know, latching onto a fragment. And... So fast forward again a few more months, and sometime around February, my father had gotten out of prison the November prior. This was way after the guy got shot and everything, you know, and I I come home from college, and my mom's talking to him on the phone. My mom does not like him, or at least at the time, she really didn't like him that much. Whatever. (laughs) So I grabbed him, and I talked to him, and the very first thing he told me was, hey, you know, your half-brother's dead, right? The very first thing, the most casual sense you can imagine somebody telling you somebody's dead, like, there's just... It was mind-blowingly casual. But as soon as he said that, 
it was within like it couldn't have been more than like an eighth of a second everything just clicked and i understood like the whole thing i, I knew who he was talking about i knew uh like why why i got that friend request from his mother and part of the reason why it all clicked like that is because because of the friend request from his mother otherwise i would have thought my other half brother that i have which is roughly the same age as me by the way me and the the, the kid that got shot we are within a few months apart age-wise because when wow. I, no, we were whole, we we're almost exactly um, nine months apart. Because when I, my mother was given birth, sometime within that day of me, my dad was sleeping with this other lady. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, so like that all clicked, and I went and I accepted the friend request from um, his mother, and I was like, you know, okay, I get it now. And so I, was, I didn't say anything to her because I didn't really care that much. I felt bad, and it was horrible. I was like, oh, I could have been a cool person to know, but overall, like. You know, I've got a life to live, and I can't, like, there's time for mourning, and there's time for just getting over things and going on, if you like. This is another story from the Against Type Story Hour. Chapter 7. Shar. Okay, so this is the story of how my father and I kept trying to meet each other, but never quite did. Here's what you need to know about my father. He died in August of 2014, and he loved me. And I know that because he told me. Here's what you need to know about my father, who died in August of 2014, that I loved him, and he knew it because I told him. I sat down with my father, and I sat down with my mother, and I told them, there's something you need to know about me that you don't know. And I told them, that I am a transgender woman. I was 40, no I wasn't, I was 57 years old. Yes, I was, 57, damn years old. And we had quite a conversation and we hugged and I thought that was really strange, it went way too well. A few months after that, my father um, contracted terminal cancer and I contracted kidney cancer, which we thought was terminal at the time. I remembered that moment because the last time I really talked to my father about being, my being transgender, my being a girl, my being a woman, I was eight years old and my father would have none of it. And he got angry with me and told me, you will play baseball. I did not want to play baseball, it didn't seem fair, but I had to play baseball. So I did, and I was terrible at it. I was really bad at it. I never got a hit, I never got on first base, and I never successfully fielded a ball or threw a ball in four years. It was that bad. <clears throat> I went up to the hospital to see my father in April, late March uh, of 2014. He asked that I visit him up in the hospital, so I did. And we sat in the hospital room together, he and I. Now he knows that I am not a religious person. I'm not, I don't believe in monotheistic things. And my father does, he was a deacon in the Trinity Episcopal Church up here. His name was Frank Davenport, some of you may have known him. He was a famous drunk, but he was also a wonderful, wonderful man. And we sat down and we talked for a long time and my father told me the most amazing thing that he came to on his own. Because up until that point, he never really actually accepted me. And this is what he told me in March of 2013, 14. He said, 
Charlie, he called me Charlie. He said, Charlie, I prayed and prayed for you. I prayed that God would come into your heart and that you would realize that you are not a girl, that you are a boy. How could you go against the will of God and, and, and expect or, or express that he had somehow failed you in his creation of you? How could you do that? And he said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Since you were eight years old, he said. And I just listened. And then he looked at me and he had this way of talking. It never, never ever left him right up until the end. And he went, bingo. And then it hit me. And I looked at him and I said, what's that, Dad? And he said, God created you. And God is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes. And when I realized that, then I realized that what I should have been praying for was God to come into my heart so that I could accept you and love you. That was a beautiful moment. <laughs> like I said, I'm not a religious person, but for him to turn his religion that way so that he could see me for the first time in 58 years was the biggest single moment in my life. And that is the moment about my father that I carry with me from here on out. That's what I need you to know. The Book of Fathers. Epilogue. The Book of Fathers was written and produced by Steve Kemsley and Greg Teachout. Special thanks to Chris Saltzman for his contributions with the cello early in the episode. All other music was written and performed by Steve Kemsley and Greg Teachout, with the exception of one obscure reference, which you're hearing now. And an extra special thanks to our first guest and his father for sharing their story and work with us. And of course to my dad, for everything. And now, Steve's wife's dad, playing a guitar on a dock in a small lake in northern Michigan. Okay. So have you have you seen the podcast? Uh no, but I've listened to it. Oh, that's right. It's a, it's a podcast, so you listen to it. Yeah. Uh what'd you think? Uh I thought it was great. Um I love hearing real life stories like that. Um kind of getting some of the details of people's lives. I think that's cool. And what would you rate it? Did you rate it? Uh no, I didn't rate it, but I should. Um what was the scale, like 1 to 10? or It's 1 to 5. Oh, 1 to 5. I'd give it a, I'd give it a definitely a 4, and, okay. and uh, I'll give him something to shoot for in the future. I won't give him a 5 right away. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and why do you think it's important for people to subscribe and rate it? Um, I think, you know, the, the people producing it put a lot of work into it, obviously, um, and they'd like some feedback on how they're doing, you know, are they going the right direction, the wrong direction, so I think it's important to, uh, you know, that's a minimal payback as a listener, I think, that you can give to, to all the effort that's gone into it. Okay, thank you.
You bet.